welcome everyone to the Post Wrestling Cafe. You just heard the most glorious opening from Waiting. And thank you to everyone who is joining us live out in Hangout World. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for checking out the Cafe Hangout. Way and I, we always, are we live? We are. Yes. We always bring the goods here on the Cafe Hangout. Two guests coming your way. As always, joining us for his weekly stop by the, the Cafe Hangout is Damien Abraham, the host of of the wrestlers on Viceland. We are going to be chatting about last night's deathmatch episode, an episode that was so moving that at Sushi Onita or whoever's running his Twitter account tweeted to Damien Abraham, how he en- so enjoyed talking to Damien. And there's one for the ages for Damien. I don't doubt that Onita's on Twitter all the time, probably tweeting that by himself. I'm he, sure he doesn't strike me as somebody with a social media manager. He would he would uh, be someone I would assume would have a bunch of uh, bot accounts out there just monitoring what's going on. Could be true. So yes. Damien's going to uh, jump onto the show, and we're also going to be hearing from Anthony Kingdom James, who is uh, uh, a regular on the Ontario independent wrestling scene. You know him as a wrestler, as a manager, and come Thursday, August the 8th, he once again is going to be putting on his promoter's cap because it's the return of the Union of Independent Professional Wrestlers. They are going to be running a show called Never Say Never. Never yeah. Say Never. He's back in the game. He is uh, one of a million people that are running shows SummerSlam week in Toronto. And we're going to chat with Kingdom about uh, his entire world that spans, I mean, wrestling, graphic novels. He's a podcast host. Lots to chat about he, with Kingdom. He's a huge Lego fan as well. I don't know if you knew this. John. I did not know this at all. Yeah. Wow. All the pieces are really coming together. Uh-huh. So well, looking forward to chatting with him. A longtime friend of myself and Way's uh, stopping by. Um, you know, Way, SummerSlam week. B- before you get on with that, John, I wanted to put the call out there for phone calls. We're leaving the first several minutes of this show specifically for phone calls. We actually even have one right now. But um, John, was there something you wanted to mention before we get Let's through? go right into the calls. All right. I'll plug later. Caller, you are on. What's up? Hey, guys. Eric from Sudbury here. Hello, Eric. What's up, Eric? Hey, so we got a Bellator event coming up, and it's headlined by one Rory McDonald. And I was wondering what your thoughts are on him competing after his post-fight comments less than two months ago. Yeah, it's um, it's a decision that I think is going to be one that on Saturday morning, everyone's going to have a clearer idea of whether this was the right move to make or not. I would say, Eric, that if... If that post-fight interview had not occurred, uh, I would have really no second guessing of it. And I'm still favoring Roy McDonald to win this fight. Um, I would say if he loses to Neiman Gracie, I think it would be indicative of a guy that uh, took on way too much and is at a crossroads in his career. Um, You know, there's speculation of Roy McDonald potentially retiring in the not too distant future. So Friday, I think, is a really important fight in terms of what is his career outlook going to be. because I, I still feel like he should he should not have much trouble with a Neiman Gracie. Um, what, what do you think about this fight? Because uh, I, I definitely have my concerns after hearing that interview, but we're going to have to see what kind of Roy McDonald we see on Friday. What are you expecting? Uh, firstly, I agree with your fight analysis completely. I mean, it's, it's tough to imagine the Roy McDonald who grappled for two rounds with Damian Maya right. losing to Neiman Gracie here. Uh, at the same time, it's like, uh, on the notes of his comments after his last fight, it is tough to get that out of your mind because if he was fighting, I don't know, just say someone else in the tournament like uh, Douglas Lima, 
it, it would be uncomfortable seeing him fight uh, Friday night. For for those so, of us, uh, I don't know. I'm a bit torn. For those of us unaware, can you remind remind us what Rory said? Yeah, well, after the John Fitch fight, which happened in April, he was interviewed immediately after the fight by John McCarthy. And Rory was very, he won the fight. It was a very close fight. I did score it for Rory, but many thought John Fitch won the fight. And he admitted to not being as aggressive as he has been. It's something that he's been, uh, pardon the pun, grappling with. And he's someone he's married now. He has a child. And he's also deeply religious. It's like a new thing that he has uh, really dove into. And he's he was openly questioning if he has that same desire to hurt people that he did in the past. And I think it was an incredibly honest speech from Rory that uh, you have to applaud him for pretty much bearing his true feelings out in front of an audience like that. But in the back of everyone's mind, it was how is this guy coming back in six weeks and fighting again against Neiman Gracie? Uh, However, the number of weeks was uh, in between fights. It's a very short turnaround. And here he went five rounds with John Fitch. He's coming back. I think even in the best of circumstances, you'd be questioning such a quick turnaround to come back with back-to-back five-round championship fights in the span of that amount of weeks. So that was kind of what was outlined, and people had a real concern. Like, if this guy is hesitant, should he be going right back into another fight camp? So that's, uh, I think, where the concern has come. And I think that's what it's rooted in. I think people are very much... um, just simply concerned about him and if this is the best thing he should be doing right now versus feeling that pressure that they've booked Madison Square Garden, he's in the main event, and he kind of feels an obligation to continue going with this fight. Let's see. Eric, anything else on the Bellator card? This is kind of like a quieter weekend, and I think that Bellator they have a very interesting show, especially with some of the fights on the undercard that you know Aaron Pico is fighting, Heather Hardy is returning uh for this fight. And you've also got that Darian Caldwell, Kyoji Horiguchi fight. I think this is a really, uh, it's a, it's an interesting Bellator fight card from top to bottom. There's a lot in there to like. Yeah, I agree 100%. I mean, I don't hear it being discussed too much, especially off the heels of an amazing UFC pay-per-view. But it's a pretty good card, uh, Caldwell versus Horiguchi. That's a hell of a fight, though, especially the rematch in the cage this time. I mean, Chael Sonnen versus Lyoto Machida will bring some casual attention to the card, hopefully. But yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I think it's a big question of like Bellator's visibility being on DAZN, that they've got this great deal with DAZN, but are they attracting those casual fans on a platform like DAZN? I think that's a question that, as you said, there. I think if this had been a spike card, I think there would be that much more attention for it. And I think the Bellator's visibility has gone down despite having some very intriguing stories going into Friday. Like I'm looking forward to the card. Yeah, in terms of visibility, you can say that's something for all of MMA right now where you can put some amazing matchups together and it's not necessarily going to drive the casual fan interest. I mean, outside of maybe three people, that's just in the story for the past two years or so. Well, you and I will be watching it, Eric, and I look forward to hearing your comments afterwards. Of course. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Thanks, Eric. Eric. All right. You were saying, John. Well, SummerSlam week, everyone is running shows, including Way and I. We are going to be doing a show. On Sunday, August the 11th, and we want to alert everybody to our big post-wrestling live in Toronto show, which has taken place from the John Candy Box Theater. No, 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 no. What? You mean the John Candy? Wait, wait. Box Theater. Yes. (laughs) Do we want to break this down? No, I th- I understand. I, I you know I, I, was, I don't understand this. <laughs> See, I I was kind of wondering it myself too. Is what what is a box theater? 
I don't know. I don't. That's like, what I, I mean. Feel the box is there to be a play off of the word candy. Do we know that for a fact? No, I'm assuming. We'll have to maybe ask. The, I can the literally go to the top of this, but I have that theater has been open for years, and people that work there, people that have performed there, I have never heard it. There any and listen, it was a, uh, it was beyond, it was the ultimate nitpick, and that stuff is just the drill to my brain, and I just have no patience for it. It's you know, I, I I'm sure the person who who tweeted that at you was only doing it as a suggestion, maybe not necessarily serious. I didn't take it seriously, at least, but. I, it it brings up the question, you know, is Candy Box supposed to be a play, play on words, or is a box if it wasn't, it would be the John Candy thing? Theater. Yeah, well, uh, box is there for one reason. I suppose it's not the box so. office. But then why even put the word theater in it? Why not just call it the John Candy Box? I think you want to at least let people know what it is. Like, what is that? Theater. Okay, I, gotcha. Okay, no, I, there's no question. I have to say, if it was an attempt at a play on words, I don't know if it's too successful because it's 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 trying to stack a little too much into there into the name of a of a of a of a, of a theater. Nonetheless, I think we will try to. This is among the dumbest discussions that we've had. To it's one of the have. Be, it's one of the best discussions we've ever had. But um, the John Candy Box Theater. Is, That's it. Is where we will be doing our live show and we can debate all we want about the the place that we are sitting in as we do our live podcast. I think we have our t-shirt. August 11th, 2019. Candy Box Theater. With a pause. Oh, okay. Maybe Lance Storm in the middle there. We'll work on that. Maybe Dramatic we'll ask, pause. Maybe we'll ask Robert to work on it. But the John Candy Box Theater, I, I think by this point nobody can forget the name of the place where, where we're doing it right now. But yeah, we're doing a live Q&A right before SummerSlam in the afternoon and a meet and greet. Uh, tickets are $25 for the public, but if you are a cafe member, $20 with the coupon code that you can find at postwrestling.com slash live. Yeah, we hope to see many of you there. Tickets have gone off to a, a nice start. I'm very happy with it, and there are still tickets available, so you can go check the show out. And come check us out on Sunday, right before, hours before SummerSlam. It's very close to where the arena is. It's right in the heart of downtown Toronto. Uh, you could literally throw a rock and hit the Rogers Center. Is it that no. close? No, it's not that close. I mean, you must have quite the arm. And I, I do. Would, I would not recommend that you try it because um, you've probably hurt somebody. You could probably hit a sign that reads Blue Jays Way. That you can. It is on Blue Jays Way. Uh, well, there. So you, you'll hit That's Blue Jays possible. Way. Which takes yeah. you just, you just got to have a cannon You'd have to have you. quite the aim. You, you got to have a Jason Street arm. A what? Who? Never mind. Let's move on. Friday Night Lights. Um, so anyway, and next Monday... We're going to be announcing another event that week. Oh, boy. Yes. Wow. And Braden and Davey have their own announcement to make Thursday, which is today on they've, Up Next. So it's going to be a weekend of post-wrestling events. By the time most people will listen to this, they've already made it. So I think we can discuss it. Okay, can right we? Here. Yes. They are doing a live tailgate party before Whoa. NXT TakeOver, everybody. The official BDE tailgate party will be taking place. Uh, all details and all information you can find at postwrestling.com slash NXT tailgate n-x-t-t-a-i-l-g-a-t-e awesome well there you go uh two of the three post-wrestling events have been announced so the other one we'll announce on monday god wow it's like a whole wrestlemania weekend it's gonna be a big weekend uh all right so in about uh five minutes or so we're gonna be joined by uh anthony kingdom james um let's quickly chat a bit about uh some news and we'll go back to calls if people are uh dialing in later yep. uh, after our are open for the next few minutes if you want i guess uh the announcement that came just before we went on the air actually at noon today uh for all out it's going to be as expected kenny omega versus john moxley and 
strategically announcing this the day before tickets go on sale for the event. So we've mm-hmm. got that match along with Chris Jericho versus Hangman Page. I don't have any doubt this thing is selling out immediately. Me uh, neither. Uh, I heard from a friend of ours that was trying to uh, book a suite at the Sears Center. Yeah. And he got a message back from the arena that said they had already received more requests than they have suites available. So that tells wow. you already... I think this one is it's a slam dunk. Now, okay, this is going to uh, uh, undoubtedly probably do very well. Do you think that the, the next year for this weekend they stay in the same building? They seem very loyal. Like this would be the year if you wanted to try the United Center somewhere bigger. Would have been the year I would do it this year. But I think they do have a certain affinity for this building and and going back there. So I, I don't know um, if, if they would necessarily change. They may change locations. Um, they might want to look at the fact that, granted, next year, uh, from all indications, they want to do four of these major pay-per-views a year so you can get these shows to different locations. But I do feel they want Chicago to be like a central stop, like at least once a year. So maybe maybe this will be the home of the Labor Day weekend show. And and there's a lot of financial incentive to stay there with the Pro Wrestling Tees connection with Chicago is a very easy town to travel to from multiple places around the country. It's a fun city just to be in tourist wise. Um, and uh, what do you think main events? I think your title match has to go on last. I think so too. I think with, with what we've heard from them and, and their respect for the sporting aspects of it, I think you definitely have to end with page versus uh, Jericho. But I think Omega and Moxley is like probably the one that's a bit more anticipated, at least for me. Yeah, and Mox is going to be coming off the G1 at that point. So, oh, man, yeah, let's man his he, summer is packed. Let's hope he stays healthy. Um, Brandon D in the chat room is asking, do you know how tickets are doing for Fight for the Fallen? Fight for the Fallen, there are there's quite a lot of tickets still available there. We were talking about it, I think, on Monday. Uh, but if you go look on Ticketmaster, um, it's not hard to get tickets to Fight for the Fallen. It is a smaller venue. I think it's set up for about 4,700, 5,000 in that range. And... Fighter Fest as well, there's still tickets. Yeah, Fighter Fest less, but yeah, you can still get tickets to to both events. So those were not immediate sellouts, and that tells me that they're very much drawing from a local crowd that are not traveling from far distances. And All Out, I see being the complete opposite, that people are going to plan trips around going to. Do, do you see any different? Uh, In terms of an immediate sellout, are you thinking that I there's going to be any, any slowdown? Because I, I, I think demand's even higher than Double or Nothing. Absolutely, yeah. So they're riding a lot of momentum at the moment. Um, Way and I as well uh, are going to be back on Friday chatting about Backlash 2004 for those that happen to be cafe members that can tune into uh, Rewind Away. So that's going to be a fun review coming up. Uh, is there anything else you would like to uh, discuss? before? Um, we- somebody in the chat room here, they're bringing up um, a, an interview Stephanie McMahon recently uh, conducted speaking at the Celebrating Women in Sports luncheon. And one of the quotes she had was about how the headline here uh, that I'm getting from CagesideSeats.com is that Stephanie McMahon believes WWE has been promised that we will be a part of the forefront of change in Saudi Arabia. And the quote she is listed as saying is here is, 
in terms of women, I'm going to hearken to an example in Abu Dhabi. It took us six years to have a woman be allowed to perform in Abu Dhabi, but just over a year ago, they were allowed. And not only that, but a chant broke out in the arena of both men and women chanting, this is hope, this is hope, which is not your typical WWE chant. And there were tears in the eyes of the little girls in the front row because, again, they saw what they could possibly be. And we've been promised that we will be a part of the forefront of change that's coming in Saudi. I believe we will have a women's match in the near future. They will. Like, I, I think everyone believes that they will. Um, I, I think that it's uh, it's, a, it's a very deep subject to go into as we're like one minute away here from our interview. But um, was, was there a specific question attached to it or just the quote? No, I think maybe just, you know, more so the idea that Stephanie McMahon is out there kind of essentially making a promise now that, hey, this is going to happen. And I think at this point, they have to be very sure that this is probably going to happen. And if not the next time that they go there, then you know, soon after. Um, and like we mentioned on, on the review, I think this will be a, a certainly an aspect that they will use to trumpet uh, quite heavily about why they're in Saudi Arabia, justification for being in Saudi Arabia. Um, you know, maybe a lot of issues perhaps kind of uh, attached to, to that as well that we'll probably get into a, closer to the actual show. Yeah, and that's, I, I mean... It's it's an aspect to the deal. It's something certainly the WWE is going to a uh, trumpet and uh, rightly or wrongly. And I think you, when you look at some of the other issues there, when yeah. whether it's Sami Zayn, whether it's an issue, uh, will Sonya Deville be allowed to go over there and wrestle? I mean, those are all um, questions that, that are going to be brought up. I think, uh, believe me, I'm sure WWE they very much want to have their women part of these shows, and they're not at the moment. So. I think that, you know, there are certain ways that you can uh, justify this deal, but I think in and of itself, there's there's a lot to it's one issue. criticize as it's well. It's one specific issue, but the, the Saudi Arabia is, is a whole bed of things, and this is, I guess, one aspect of it. We're on the line now with Anthony Kingdom James. It is a pleasure to welcome this man to the cafe hangout. <laughs> As we get set for a very, very busy summer. And uh, what an interesting trivia note here. My final interview at Live Audio Wrestling, Anthony Kingdom James. Uh, I, I had to make sure things were uh, steady uh, here at Post Wrestling Kingdom before I had you on. Because we, we couldn't take any risks. So I think now we're saying uh, we're, we're secure here in our positions as we have you on. So you're pretty sure that I won't kill this gimmick too? It was, I'm not going to burn this town. I mean, look look what you brought down, uh, Kingdom. I mean, just everything went spiraling out of control. I mean, that's that's the effect the that ground. Anthony Kingdom James has. Uh, one, once you speak, there there are uh, repercussions the world over. I, I am podcast Godzilla. <laughs> I, am, <laughs> I, am, I am just here to stomp buses full of helpless, helpless people. Well, it's it's what's the, what's the blue oyster cult uh, helpless people on subway trains scream bug eyed as they look out on him. I love it. Yeah, a, a blue oyster cult uh, <laughs> reference right off the top. Uh, well, there you go. in all seriousness, it's it's always great to uh, to catch up with you and have you on the show. You are always uh, a man uh, with with many many different hats on, and we want to yeah. have you on because uh, coming up in August, it is going to be the most insane week. In the history yeah. of Toronto professional wrestling, and you just surveyed the landscape, and you said, "You know what? I want in on this, and I'm bringing back <laughs> the Union of Independent Professional Wrestlers." Uh, 
Kingdom yeah. has it, do you almost feel like you need to step away before you then get the promoter's itch again because you're going you're diving in headfirst here in August. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. Listen, I, I, uh, you can't miss something until it goes away for a while, right? And uh, I remember five years ago telling the guys, uh, "Well, this is going to be the last union show, and I'm never going to do this again. Just never." And a, 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 more than a handful of the boys, uh, Ethan Page and 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 uh, especially RJ City, uh, just looking me in my eye and telling me that I was only lying to myself. And I, I was adamant, never, never, never. And that's why this show is called Never Say Never. <laughs> because eventually it was going to come around and I was going to want to try it again. And, uh, and now it's happening. I... I've never asked you this question, but when you like you, you started union going all the way back to 2003, I've always thought like the name, like you really set yourself apart. It's not just another like three letters thrown together. It's something that it's definitively yours and it's a, it's a different sounding name. It's got uh, just uh, some of the origins of the name and just trying to come up with something marketing wise that kind of was unique. I'll, I'll tell you, the origins are, are pretty simple. It comes from watching The Sopranos. It goes, the name goes back to 1999. And um, uh, a friend of mine, Bill Comer, this is when I was living in Pittsburgh, uh-huh. and uh, Bill Comer was there wrestling as uh, wrestling as Major Agony, doing, you know, the pseudo-military gimmick. And, uh, and we fell in love with, with the show, The Sopranos, and we kept talking about wouldn't it be amazing if there actually were a union in, re- in, in professional wrestling and we just, we picketed other matches or uh, we'd get a match book against each other and we'd just sit in lawn chairs in the ring and not actually <laughs> wrestle the match. Goomba Soprano uh, uh, union stuff. And uh, uh, we, I did that. Uh, tried to carry that on as a stable for a little while with it in Pittsburgh and we tried it in New Jersey a little, um, Bill ended up retiring. And then in 2003, when I got the opportunity to, to, to start running shows, uh, I was trying to come up with a name for the promotion and it was just one of those, Hey, uh, idiot, you have a good name. You, <laughs> you have a logo, you, <laughs> you have merch already. Why not just call it the Union of Independent Professional Wrestlers? And then, like, the Wrestlers Union nickname kind of came about and stuck. And, uh, you know, people people call it Wrestlers Union or just Union. And it's, it's always nice to have that kind of one-word nickname that, that gets recognizable. But, yeah, it started as, uh, started as a gimmick for a stable and uh, became the name of the promotion a few years later. See, you're you're one of the the few people that you, like you bridge several eras of independent wrestling, specifically here in the province of Ontario. Can you kind of just give Era, an overview? Era, hold on, hold on. Eras or errors? 
<laughs> well, that that would be where I would lead to the question of where you see the health today versus, you know, the mid 2000s when, man, you could it was very hard to find a local show today. It's like I think SummerSlam week is a real testament to that of how much yeah. wrestling you're getting in the city. But just your own personal experience of where you think that this this part of the country uh, has grown in that time and the ability to be a performer and a promoter in the in the province. Well, um, I mean, I go back to the mid nineties and in, in, in 95, 96, 97, there was nothing. There was yeah. absolutely nothing, especially, you know, 95, 96, there was absolutely nothing in Ontario. And then, uh, you know, it, it, it started to, it started to blossom. And then you got guys like, you know, Ricky Johnson and Scott Demore and, 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 and people who were, who saw the opportunity, they saw it. Listen, there is, there is really a, a time and a place and an, a, and an abundance of talent uh, for an audience that uh, is missing out on these independent shows, these live shows. And um, uh, today, I mean, uh, the number of shows has grown exponentially but so is the talent. So is right. the talent available. And some people will say that's a good thing. Some people will say that's a bad thing. It, but, you know, either way, it's a thing. And you have, you have so many amazing promotions right now, uh, you know, stretching from Windsor to, to Ottawa. And so much incredible talent to go on those shows. Uh, and then, you you know, you throw in... Uh, Quebec and Western New York and Ohio and Michigan that, that, you know, guys are able to make that drive here. And, and it, it's no wonder that Toronto is flourishing. Um, the, the overabundance of shows coming for, for SummerSlam week, of which I am, you know, now one of the culprits, one of the perpetrators, um, that's a testament to, uh, to, independent wrestling as a whole. And I think of it kind of like, um, you ever see a Marine wildlife video where the whale or the shark is swimming and there's the tiny fish just (laughs) feeding around it. You know, it's like there's, there's kelp or something stuck to a whale and the, and the smaller fish are feeding as it swims along. It's this great symbiotic relationship. Um, that's what I think of as what's happening with the four major WWE, the tent pole events each year where uh, all the other promotions on the planet converge on that city. Uh, you know, WWE sets up for four or five days and everybody else comes to town. And that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday become a festival, a festival of events. And, um, Frankly, WWE needs that because without the territories, where else would they be getting talent? We're basically, you know, coming to the city they're in and saying, hey, this is the wrestling world all in one place. Uh, You know, it's just, it's mind-blowing. It's not something I would ever have thought, I would ever have conceived or thought was possible 25 years ago, 28 years ago. And now, I mean, here it is happening uh, on a regular basis. 
Do you feel like uh, uh, Kingdom that the taste of the audience has changed at all in the past uh, five years since you've last promoted? Um, has you know, is there a different appetite for different types of stars, or is it very much the same of uh, style of what you were presenting in the past? It's 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 the same and it's different. It's uh, it's an evolution. It's 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 a it's almost a living organism unto itself in that it grows and changes and shrinks and, and, you know, ebbs and flows. So, uh, some things are going to be an evolution and some things are going to be the fad of the moment, right? You're going to get things that are, you know, hot today and gone tomorrow. You're going to get things that, uh, grow and you don't go back. You can't, you can't backtrack. So, um, I would hate to put um, a definitive, like a time stamp on it, and say this is wrestling, and this is this is the way it needs to be. This is the way it is. When so much of wrestling depends on your location mm-hmm. and uh, your your attitude as a as a promoter or a performer or uh, an audience member, um, you know, because think of the different promotions that exist around Southern Ontario and think about how many of them are finding success and how different each of those promotions is from one another. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, 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 it's hard for me to say, like I say, it's hard for me to say this is wrestling when I can't even tell you what wrestling will be tomorrow. I think it's kind of that open-mindedness that, that you want to hear in a promotion and, and a promoter knowing that, you know, the the whims, they change very quickly with the audience and, and the demand and simply finding the supply to meet that demand of a very changing fan base on sometimes a monthly basis. Yeah, you know, it's not easy to... Um, it's not easy to stand still while the river washes all around you it's it's much smarter to build yourself a boat and and uh <laughs> and let the river carry you sometimes and if you're smart you you know you get a you get a paddle or you build a rudder and you can steer yourself but uh in in the end the river is deciding for the most part where you're going kingdom the analogy game is on is on point today yeah, I feel pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, so we were talking. We were, we were t- a few of us were talking last night about uh, about the Star Trek formula of analogies, where you say two familiar things and then add in one. It's like he was a he's an evil dictator, like Hitler or Pol Pot or <laughs> uh, or Varian of Cygnus Seven. Uh, <laughs> so I've got. I've got analogies. I've got similes in in my mind very much today. When you're watching kind of the, you know, once you're a promoter, I think that you kind of always will look at different shows with that promoter's eye. And as you see kind of the scene right now in Southern Ontario, there are some times that we see a a lot of shows that are are going head to head with one another. Do you think that that is, uh, do you think that that's uh, counterintuitive to the growth of the market? Or do you feel that this uh, more demand that there is a trickle down to the performers that they're in higher demand because these shows are 
going on? Like, what's kind of your assessment of like, could they be working more in concert or is that just not a realistic uh, uh, conclusion to be able to make? I mean, they could be working more in concert, but um, I mean, that's in many ways, that's a pipe dream because wrestling is a business of egos. And uh, I mean, uh, who wants to, and uh, uh, here, here, one basic example, who wants to share the book, you know, (laughs) who wants to, who who wants to have power and then say, here's half of it for you. And I'll give up, I'll give up the little, the little fiefdom that I've created for myself. I've, you know, um, uh, there are, there are examples of promotions working together, uh, in big ways and in small ways that I think is uh, really fantastic. Um, Smash does things with other promotions like Progress and uh, um, they, they, they had CZW in more than once. And, you know, for SummerSlam week, they have a venue in North York and they are bringing in, uh, you know, WXW is doing a show. Progress is doing a show. W, uh, or, um, OWE. OWE. They have the the women's showcase on the uh, uh, on the Saturday morning, but then and then you have a sh- uh, a, a, a company like uh, Alpha One, who um, uh, their their cooperation with others is is mainly at a talent level, and it and it, it's down to uh, the connections that. Uh, the, the the promoter and the talent makes when he's on the road. I, I I'm not going to say his name because not because I'm I got something against him, but because I don't know if he wants to publicly acknowledge himself as the promoter. I know the Smash guy doesn't. Uh, <laughs> a little inside baseball, but we'll you know when he's on the more. road and he yeah when he's on the road and he and 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 he, and he wrestles against somebody or he's in a locker room with somebody and he makes that connection. He he can say man, you are great. I'd love to bring you into alpha one. And, and again, you know, like, uh, when he does that, sometimes, uh, outside championships get to appear at alpha one. That's, that's down to cooperation between promoters, you know? So, um, the idea of, uh, let's all get together and sing Kumbaya and have one, uh, one title that, you know, we all, uh, we all adhere to, we all acknowledge and we'll promote cooperatively and, you know, and, and, and we won't run against each other. That's, that's not going to happen. It's, it's pure communism will not happen, but, uh, the ability of in, individual promotions to say, Hey, um, we can do something together that helps each other and helps helps defray our costs or helps spread the word about each other's promotion or, you know, doesn't screw each other over on a particular day out of mutual respect. That stuff happens and it's fantastic. As a, when you're strictly in the role of, of a performer, I mean, is there kind of like an unspoken loyalty you have to certain promotions that, you know, I could take a date here, but that might ultimately affect my relationship here. And you don't have to specifically mention examples of such, but is that 
a level of thinking that some of the performers in this scene uh, do have when there's many options out there, but also being strategic in who you work with. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've had that conversation with people before and I've had that conversation recently. I mean, for me, um, you know, when I'm, when I'm taking dates, cause I'm, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty much, uh, committed to smash wrestling as my, as my, you know, my home promotion, right. Uh, the last couple of years. So if, if somebody says, uh, Hey, I need you for this date, or can I get you for this date? You know, I have to, um, my response is, okay, let me make sure there's not a smash show. Um, and you know, uh, connect with smash and see whether I'm available. Um, this came up in another way with a promoter who was uh, giving guys ultimatums about, you know, where you can work, where you can and can't work. And, uh, and, and I said, uh, unless somebody's giving you a full time salary as a professional wrestler, uh, then they have no right to issue you an ultimatum, but you as they, I mean, they should make a decision on their own. Hey, do I want my roster to be as unique as possible and not share with guys that are, you know, working shows two blocks over the next night? That's that's understandable. Um, but as a performer, uh, you have to decide, am I going to put all or some or most or how many of my eggs am I going to put in each particular basket? And that that depends on, you know, how comfortable you are in that promotion, how loyal you are to that promoter, how well they're treating you and, 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 and what your prospects for your immediate and long-term future are. It, wrestling is so nebulous. Uh, anybody who gives you a definitive answer about, uh, uh, about anything in wrestling is probably not paying attention to the entire, the entire business. So, um, I mean, for me, it's a matter of, uh, I like being at smash and, uh, and, and that's my first priority, but they also know, you know, if they're running the same day as fan expo or New York comic con, I have other worldly responsibilities that I need to take care of too. So you now then you slip in an injury angle, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> When you uh, when you mentioned uh, Smash, I mean, uh, I want to go back to the match you had uh, with Tarek last year and oh, okay. how, how you felt uh, going into that one, kind of uh, uh, whether you felt like an added pressure on your shoulders going into that situation and how you felt coming out of it as well, because that got a lot of attention. Uh, people that uh, have seen Smash on the Fight Network got to see the match. Uh, it is online as well. You can you can find it on Smash Wrestling's YouTube channel. But just tell us a bit about that experience because I know uh, Tarek is someone that you have worked with for a long time and getting to do that match. Yeah. What was uh, the reaction? Uh, I love that match. It made it's absolutely top three favorite matches I've ever had. And uh, Tarek is a, an incredible performer and was fantastic. To, uh, to work with throughout that entire feud with Sebastian Suave. And um, uh, going into it, I felt really good. I had, uh, I, I had been losing weight for about a year, and I was 
uh, I, I think I wrestled that match uh, close to the lightest I'd ever been in professional wrestling. Like, uh, so uh, I could move a little. <laughs> I'm looking at the and, stare down photo here. I mean, dude, you, you got in great shape for this. Uh, yeah, and I got to get back there because about a month later, I tore up my hip in a match and uh, went right off the diet and started. I'm I'm I, I'm not as I'm not as huge as I was two three years ago, but I I gotta uh, it's a struggle to it's a struggle to not eat the three a.m. bowl of starch after work, you know. Uh, but that match was fantastic because I had. Basically, I had ideas for it. Uh, you know, uh, basically, I had ideas for it, and then uh, Tarek took that skeleton and put meat on its bones, and and that match it felt so good. It felt really good right up until the very end, where he busted me in my mouth with an elbow so hard that I almost bit my lip off. Oh, uh, <laughs> but. Um, I mean, straight from the word go, uh, being in the ring with him was amazing. And uh, here, I'll pat my, I'll bury Horowitz and pat myself on the back. I, I busted out a, a moonsault off the top to the floor. Uh, and it's the first moonsault I had hit in about 15 years. And, uh, and it felt like, okay, uh, you know, old man, you can still go just a little. And it it's it was friggin' great. If you haven't seen the match, please do me a favor, because uh, you know I'm an attention whore. Go go find the match on YouTube and uh, and let me know what you thought, everybody. Yeah, I th- I thought you, so. you you really did uh, a great job, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of Tarek. I like watching him for this many years and seeing where he has uh, yeah. risen to. Like he really is one of that uh, at that level of kind of the next ones to really have your eyes on. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's a, there's a guy who, you know, there's a couple of people here in Ontario who uh, I can't believe they're still in Ontario, um, and and I uh, I'm waiting for the world to catch up on a few of them, and for them to you know to just no longer be available around here because they are just everywhere. And, uh, and there's, I, you know, we could sit here for a half hour naming people and talking about them, but Carrick is absolutely one of those people that, uh, the world needs to, uh, take greater notice of, uh, before we wrap up and we'll go over all the, the show information, uh, one thing, and I, I brought this up to you before, but I mean, anyone that's ever seen you live knows that like your promo ability is, you know, a, a superior tool that, that you have uh, among many when you're on a show. When you're talking to younger guys, I always feel like that's it's one of the toughest things in this industry is to find your voice, to have that confidence when it comes to doing promos, which is an essential uh, element to succeeding. What is kind of your advice for younger talent that just want to get repetitions and to be able to find their voice that, I mean, you've seemed to like, that's always been a strength of yours. I just repeat what the voices in my head say to me. Uh, they're so much smarter than I am. Uh, no, I it, it, it's like anything. It's a muscle. You have to, you, have, you know, you need to exercise it. You need to, 
you need to practice. And um, uh, you have, anybody has all the opportunity in the world to practice. You know, you're, you're in the shower, you're brushing your teeth, you're walking to work, you're in the car. You have the opportunity to, to think about what you're going to say. And, you know, the, the, the basic tenets of uh, uh, make your opponent look good, make yourself look even better. Uh, you know, there's no point in, there's no point in burying an opponent because then what do you gain by beating them in the ring? But if I can, if I can talk about an opponent and, and make him seem like a challenge but make myself seem like the cocky, swaggering SOB that anybody who's ever met me in life I can't figure out why I am. I actually am. Uh, you know, maybe people are going to come. People are going to want to come and watch me get my ass kicked. You know, so it, it's just a matter of practice. Take the opportunity to practice. Don't shy away from it. If a promoter says. Let's film a promo. As a matter of fact, here's a good example of a guy, uh, Holden Albright. Yes. An Ontario wrestler. Holden Albright, who films uh, promos for each of his matches, uh, independent of whether a promoter asks him to or not, he puts the time and effort into, uh, into his character and into uh, making promos to try and uh, to build up his opponents and build up himself and to make people uh, make, you know, even random fans on the internet interested in, in what he's doing. And this, this odd creature of a man, let's, I want to see this guy. And uh, I absolutely encourage uh, younger guys, take the time and do that. Put in that effort. Um, Put in the effort to talk to fans at shows. Put in the effort to, if you've got a match coming up, think about it. Think about it. Why is it happening? What's it about? Cut a promo. Give it to the promoter. If you're going to participate in promoting the event that you're being booked for, that promoter is probably going to want to book you again. You're helping him carry the promotional load, so... You know, it's yeah, ease the burden and <laughs> help bring your fans in. It, it, so much of wrestling depends on the ability to talk. And I know people are listening to this right now thinking this, this most verbose ghost of wrestling's past can't answer a question in less than 25,000 words. So, uh, but so much of wrestling, especially on TV, is talking. Practice that skill, and that is one of the things that goes in your arsenal. You'll be able to reach down to your utility belt and say, yeah, I can cut a promo on him, on whoever you name right now. That's something that uh, the further you get up the ladder in the business, the more you're going to need to be able to do. You're running uh, the show Thursday, August 8th uh, at the Transact Club in Toronto, Ontario, uh, the beloved Transact Club in Toronto, Ontario. Yeah, but, but, beloved uh, transact. Uh, I saw fucked up there once, actually. But um, I, <laughs> I hear there's great demand. We, hold on, we had managed we had managed to go this whole interview without cursing, and here comes Way. Well, 
it's it's the name of the band of our next said, guest. It's kind of tough uh, not to say it. Said, but, but beyond don't that, they, don't they call themselves that stuff? Oh, okay. Well. Beyond that kingdom, I hear there's great demand. <laughs> I hear there's great demand for the union of uh, in, uh, uh, independent pro wrestlers to be running a show in Otisburg. Can you uh, fulfill that demand <laughs> at some point? You bastard. Uh, <laughs> Otisburg is Anthony Kingdom James's Lego City, and I had no idea, Kingdom. Yeah. You're such a huge Lego fan until I went on your re- website recently and realized, wow. Here is a man who yeah. is into everything that I'm into: wrestling, comic books, and of course, Lego. So uh, yeah, I I, uh, I I wrestle, I write comic books, and I have a I have about a forty square foot Lego city that I'm I just turned my chair and I'm staring at now. Um, it is very impressive, Lynn, You should, John, you got to see his like um uh, uh base plate technique that that like he's creating uh, on his own. It's, I don't know what incredible. that means, yeah. but it sounds impressive. <laughs> <laughs> base plate, plate technique, technique. Sounds, it, it sounds very technical it sounds like i'm building a house on mars the cobblestone uh, that you did with, no, the, yeah. with the with the with the snot snot oh uh God. studs on not on top brilliant brilliant stuff thank you thank you oh the the cobblestone piece yes yeah. yes yes i watched no, the whole I'm thing i'm walking over it <laughs> yeah the, listen the here's the thing um uh you, with all due respect to addy star uh i am wrestling's king of lego that's oh, all I've got to say. Wonderful. Damn. What all you, due respect. Ed. What do you think of this? So, this it, well, I was going to ask you, what do you think of all this This resurgence of Lego appearing in wrestling all of a sudden? I think it's fantastic. I well, There's a couple of things. In, there's, a, there's three things in wrestling that I've never done that I would really like to do. I've never, uh, I've never wrestled in a steel cage. I've never <laughs> refereed a match. And I've never wrestled a Lego death match. Oh. And... The only reason I want to wrestle a Lego death match is so that afterwards I can sweep all that shit up and take it home. <laughs> oh man! So, so after, after about thirty minutes, I think we have we have we have gotten to the core of why you have resurrected the Union of Independent Professional Wrestlers. You just gave us your bucket list right there, literally. Yes, I bucket just, of Lego. I just I need material to build the uh, to build up the, the the street level of Otisburg. And uh, and get the subway going underneath. So if it means take if it means taking a bump on a bunch of two by two yellow bricks, that's fine. I'm willing to pay that price. He's, he'll, <laughs> make sure they're not mega blocks. That's all. <laughs> oh no 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 off brand crap. No no Chinese weapon stuff. None of that. Uh, no mega blocks. No 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 no. Pure. I I need to see Lego on the top of each stud. Well, <laughs> Never Say Never is going down Thursday, August the 8th, 9 p.m. at the Transact Club. That's at 292 Brunswick Avenue. It's going to feature RJ City against Space Monkey, Jody Threat versus yeah. the aforementioned Addy Star, and yeah. putting himself in the main event, a true promoter, Anthony Kingdom James oh, yeah. <laughs> defending the Union Heavyweight Championship against Kevin Blackwood. It's Kevin, uh, as far as I know, as far as Kevin knows, it is going to be his first match back in Toronto since the uh, really devastating car accident that yeah. he and the fellow Buffalo boys had uh, at the end of last year. And uh, I, for one, I, I couldn't think of a better opponent to push myself. Um, you know, why, why do this? Why step in the ring if 
uh, if I'm going to produce something half-assed and uh, it's as much a test for me and my ability, uh, what, whatever, whether I'm getting better or hanging on or whatever it is, you know, come, come watch Kevin Blackwood throw hands with the old man. We're looking forward to it. And you can get all the information, including tickets at wrestlersunion.ca. And uh, Kingdom, if they want to follow any of your other work, uh, your many endeavors that you have out there, uh, where best to follow Anthony Kingdom, James? Uh, okay. On Twitter and on Instagram, uh, you can follow me. My, uh, my username is my name is Kingdom, all one word. Uh, you can also, as you mentioned, you can follow the union. Uh, on Twitter and on Instagram at wrestlers underscore union or at the website wrestlersunion.ca and my own website kingdomjames.com or uh, rutgazer.com. Ah, yes, the shoot name. Uh, They both lead to the same website. And um, on YouTube, I have a bunch of stuff that I'm doing on YouTube these days, and it's all on one channel, youtube.com slash Anthony Rutgazer. There's links to that on most of my other social media and on my website um, where I'm I, I, I just today posted um, a 2007 Wrestlers Union match between fabulous John McChesney and a fellow by the name of El Generico, hmm. uh, who some of you might know these days as WWE superstar Sammy Zayn. Uh, and you know what? I'm going to do it while I'm talking to you. I am posting another, I'm making another video public right now of uh, Jody Threat, who will be facing Addie Starr, as you mentioned, on, at Never Say Never. Uh, she, uh, we got together a few days ago, and it's, it's a quick video about the sacrifices she is making in her life to train for her match with Addie Starr. And uh, you're really, really going to want to see this video. It's heartbreaking. Well, we'll definitely go check that out. Kingdom, it's always great to catch up with you. I want to say this has been a great interview, but let's give it a few weeks and make sure I'm still employed. And then I can officially say (laughs) this was a wonderful interview. (laughs) It was uh, always a pleasure having you on, Kingdom. And thank you uh, so much for the time. Guys, thank you very much for taking the time and letting me speak to your audience. It is amazing what you've created, uh, you know, like a Phoenix from the Ashes, and what you guys have got going on with post-wrestling, I've said this to you privately, is incredible. It's uh, awesome, and it's inspiring, and uh, it, it really is a testament to... Uh, your uh, your ability and your drive that that you've uh, cre- you have made post wrestling thrive. So we we really appreciate that. Too much, I hope that isn't too much smoke being blown up your tuchuses. Oh, it's going right uh, to our head, but we appreciate it nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> thank you as always, right, uh, Kingdom, and uh, yeah, all, all the best heading into the show in August. We'll uh, I'm sure we'll speak with you before then. Thank you very much, guys. All right, thanks, Kingdom. Anthony Kingdom James. I always love chatting with him. Many different directions we can go. Oh, Inc- including Lego. No, I, I could have gone two hours on that topic alone. Well, uh, should we go right into our, our next interview? We were, uh, this is going to be a lengthy show today. Yeah, but, I think so. But people are ready for it. Uh, I think people should be. Yeah, this is, of course, uh, us talking to Damien Abraham about the latest edition of The Wrestlers. Uh, this one featuring 
death matches. Yeah, including uh, the appearance on last night's episode of June Kasai with his wife, baby uh, baby daughter, I believe it was. I believe so. Yeah. And his mother. Yes. Um, among the many highlights of this episode of The Wrestlers, it's Damian Abraham's weekly chat here on the Cafe Hangout. Here on the Cafe Hangout, it is our weekly chat with Damian Abraham, the host of The Wrestlers on Viceland. We're going to be chatting about last night's episode, Deathmatch, the one I couldn't wait for. I, I like this one was suggested to me, proposed to me by by Jeff and Nathan. Like originally, we had a whole other episode planned, like and actually to the point where I'd even reached out to some of the people involved in this other episode, and I wanted to do something. Uh, you know, more, more kind of like, I'll, you know, I'll save it for the, you know, cause maybe it'll happen in season two now, but they were like, we really want to do a death matchup. So we've become really fascinated by this, um, you know, in talking to you, yeah. um, what do you think? And I was like, I, well, I've done it. You yeah. know, I did the terminal of death documentary and I think we've done it. And they're like, no, 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 we want to do something, um, a little more academic. Okay. I mean, I thought that I thought- was the word that. Certainly rang through out this episode. Was, this is really academic. I, th- I thought the the other the the documentary was pretty academic in, in itself. The other one, but you know, like I, I actually wanted to ask you because who was involved with that project with with you, uh, and and are they different from? Yeah, totally different. It was my friend Shawnee Cohen was the director of that Sweet. one, and Shawnee is an incredible director yeah. for Vice. He's got a great documentary, an unbelievable documentary called Rat Park coming out about the end of addiction. He's done. Stuff about creep catchers. He's done like a, like a lot of the best Vice documentaries he's done, and this was one one of his first kind of like features that he went that went out there and and did with me. And he was like the only guy that that was a director of Vice that ever really believed in this. Like he was the only guy that was like, okay, yeah, let's go do this. This sounds fun. Everyone else was like, no one really likes wrestling, and obviously that helped you. Oh, get the absolutely. Series. Yeah, there would be no series if that had been met with anything but success. I think that's the only reason we have a series is because the response to that deathmatch documentary was really good. And I think, you know, I don't know. I've never actually talked to Jeff and Nathan about it, but I think maybe even that played into their decision making, too. Like, mm-hmm. well, people seem to like deathmatch or seem to be curious about it. And I think it was also in talking to him, I was talking to him about, like, the fact that it's connected to Puerto Rico, the fact that it's connected to Japan and the fact that it's like this transcontinental art form that's that's just so extreme like it's mm-hmm. the most extreme expression of professional wrestling visually i i mean it's it's incredibly stunning and i think mm-hmm. it makes for a really compelling tv show like and i'm trying to wonder like would vice have been interested in another facet of professional wrestling or did it require deathmatch wrestling to really get their foot in no, they were they weren't even into doing the deathmatch show. Like they were signed off on the other show. Like we were kind of like already pretty much down the road on the other show. And then it was at Jeff and Nathan that were like, we really want to do a deathmatch episode. I think we might have been in contact with Terry Funk at this point about just coming on board to potentially do something in the series. And then it was kind of me. Oh my God, in the bar with Onita. And you <laughs> would have been amazing. Crazy. And the barbed wire bat. <laughs> that would have been amazing. And I think it was actually out of that kind of conversation that it began this whole thing about doing a deathmatch episode just because I was explaining how Terry Funk's place in wrestling history is, is so unique, you know? And it's really, it really, it's like Shane Strickland is, is the modern day manifestation of that. Like a guy who's willing to do everything, everything for wrestling. I, I think that Terry Funk, as much as he is uh, celebrated and looked upon, I think like it, this. This sounds dark, but it's it seems that like when someone passes, that's when it really hits you of how influential mm-hmm, someone is. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with Terry Funk, when when we look back at everything this guy did, um, 
it's hard not to view him as as one of the most influential people, um, specifically of any any U.S. born wrestler. But I, I think you can apply that very much to Japan, where oh, he was just as big. Yeah, definitely. bigger in Japan. Yeah, no, and, and it really feels like from you know the stuff you read and stuff you hear, he he was key in help building Japan too, and building up wrestling in Japan. And that's certainly the case. What he did, booking in the foreigners with his yeah, brother, yeah. and just and the differences of like. From from all Japan to FMW and all the different iterations of, of Terry Funk that evolved in, in front of that Japanese audience as it did in the U.S. Like, here's a guy who was NWA champion, and then there was the ECW version of Terry Funk. And you go through all of this, and then, you know, stuff in Memphis that he did, and, like, all of these different things. And it's like, here's this one guy, and look mm-hmm. at all the different mm-hmm. chapters. Like, you want to talk about reinvention. Like, mm-hmm. that is Terry Funk. Yeah, and someone who would just, you know, he would show up somewhere and his influence would affect it forever, you know? Like, his impact in Japan affected Japanese pro wrestling forever. His impact in Puerto Rico affected Puerto Rican wrestling forever. Like, I think, I wish, and and sadly, uh, Terry's wife was really sick at the time we were filming this, so it just couldn't happen with us filming with him. It was all set up to happen, and then it just didn't. But, Mm. uh, you know, talking to Anita and hearing just about Onita working on his farm and just like this act of Onita letting him come to, and that whole story, which we didn't really get into in, in the dock where he was in, I think he's in Puerto Rico at the time and he refuses to give up the title. And so they take him backstage and they beat the shit out of him so badly that he has to go to Terry Funk's house to recover. And that's why he's in Terry Funk's house working on the farm and just kind of recovering. And he's just learning. You know, he's learning all the stuff from Terry Funk and he's in the two blow concession brawl. Like, I don't think he's in the first one, but he's definitely in the second one. You know, and here's this guy who's in the the, the key Memphis wrestling event. Uh, well, there's a lot of key Memphis wrestling events, obviously, but like one of the key Memphis wrestling events ever. And Onita's like Terry Funk. He's this guy in the background, you know, taking part in it, but he's taking all that back with him to Japan. Like that's the thing about the deathmatch stuff that's so rich. It's just the the cultural exchange yeah. between Japan and America. I found it so incredible that, that the two of you, ha- you and Onita talking at the bar, happened to stumble upon the comparison between this and music. Mm-hmm. In the moment he brought up how, you know, wrestling should have genres. And we, I look at a deathmatch wrestling as punk rock, and I just saw Damien's face, and I'm like, this my is heart like, exploded. This way. is like confirmation from like God telling him that he's been on the right path this entire time. <laughs> oh my! I, I was waiting for Onita to make a comparison. Like I would be the Stooges, wouldn't you agree, Damien? <laughs> What like I I afterwards tried to dig deeper with him and maybe it was the language barrier but we didn't go any deeper about yeah. Japanese punk rock but when he compared himself to punk rock yeah. my my heart and yes he also said hard rock I have to give that acknowledgement too the, the editing is great because you come across as fluent in Japanese and all these exchanges know, he knows I, Spanish he knows <laughs> he, every, he can speak every language <laughs> Google Translate Google Translate's amazing uh, no we, we we definitely benefited from incredible fixers uh, Elena on this one was just like this you know, incredible God of organization and God of language and and God of just diplomacy dealing with a lot of these, a lot of these larger than life Japanese wrestling personalities like Onita. The first time we met Onita was incredible. Like we're at Corgan Hall. We're in, we're in the basement. We're waiting for his car to pull up. His wife pulls up driving him. He gets out. He's wearing like a Supreme sweatshirt, a leather jacket, these like sick jeans and these crazy white Nike high tops. And he gets out of the car with his like swoop hair. And I'm, I'm just like, oh my, like the, just the presence, you know, like yeah. we played. It's going to be way when he goes to Japan. <laughs> one time, well, one time with the band I was recording, we did a, a, a peel session at the BBC and just so happened that 
Beyonce was recording in the studio next to, next to us. And she walked by and just, you felt this star presence. Like she had this presence that was like, oh, there's a reason she's a star. And Onita's the only other person I think I've really felt that from. Onita and Beyonce. <laughs> he definitely, he definitely. And the walk up, we, we didn't have audio on it. You see bits and pieces of it, but there were just so many incredible moments. Like we stop at that, that board with barbed wire on it and he's like, hey, I invented this. My favorite line was, I don't want to toot my own horn, but everyone knows my name and I started it all. (laughs) (laughs) No, toot, toot, toot. (laughs) He goes, he goes up to this kid who comes walking up to us because we're at, we're at a, um, we're at a deathmatch show. We're at at a freedom show, but uh, we're way in the back, right? Like he wasn't really watching the stuff going on in the ring as much as he just wanted to. Did people realize who was there watching? A couple people, you know, and we tried to play it low key. We came in through the back entrance and we came up the back stairs. I'm like, if people really see him, people are going to get excited and and it's going to piss off freedoms, you know? And and it's definitely, or they might love it. I don't think freedoms would love it. No, I think that's something that I think in Japan, you realize that like wrestling is a partisan issue there and, and the company you're with and the, the star that they have, is the guy you back and that's Jun Kasai for freedoms. Right. And so, you know, Takeda's is different because Takeda, I guess, moves around and he was kind of like in all these places at the same time. But even somebody on the level of Onita, you don't think would, would be revered in that. I think he would be revered by the fans. Oh, definitely. But I don't think the wrestlers would be that stoked that he was there. Maybe he probably has some friends in the locker room, but I just don't think I just got the vibe that like we were told not to tell people that he was there. Okay. Uh, but fans saw, you know, and this one fan comes up to him and Onita obviously knew him and he's like, hey, fat boy. And he just gives this guy like a nuggie and like just it's just like the the weirdest interaction I've ever seen with this fan. And the fans just like super excited that he gets to interact with Onita again. So yeah, it was it was I wish we had audio for that walk up. Did, did you feel by the end of it, did, did Onita take a while to kind of get to, to kind of break through to really get like the the essence of who this guy is coming out on camera? I think with that first meeting and the back of that wrestling show, you know, we just kind of hit him with, you know, I hit him with the honest truth, which is like he's the reason I got into Japanese pro wrestling, like seeing him on those FMW DVDs that I've, we've talked about many times on this show, you know, shout out to Dan. Um, and those, those John things, Watanabe. Yeah. John Watanabe. get him. <laughs> Sorry. Both of those, but I meant John, I mean, uh, John, the mouth, the Lebransky, because Lebransky's like yes. a family friend, but, yes. um, at the same time, like, uh, you know, I, I, I've said that to him honestly. And then I just, you know, I knew a lot of stuff about him, you know, shout out to Bahu FMW for years of work with that website, just making this incredible archive where fans like me who were interested in this promotion could go. And, and get access to this information that otherwise would be inaccessible because it's all in Japanese and, and just in other media sources. And, and to me, as as everyone is is so focused upon AEW, to me, it's, it's the promotion to study is FMW. Mm-hmm. That I think like you can see a lot of parallels of a company that was able to just fulfill a need that an, a wrestling public was starved for didn't have television and were able to find like success that made no sense on the surface that they were able to find and all built around like this, this cult leader in Onita. Yeah. And changed everything, you know, like it's really, you know, you talked about the world without Terry Funk, like what would the world be like without FMW? There'd be, I don't think there'd be an ECW or it certainly wouldn't be the same. And would there be an attitude error? And then, then yeah, would there be an attitude error? Like, would there be, then would there be the world of wrestling that we're looking at now? Like it's, I think it's definitely like a company that, 
that introduced a brand of wrestling which is really exciting and a style of wrestling that's really exciting. I think it's this like interesting kind of study of like, you know, the the family tree of culture being passed around from Terry Funk to Japan and then back to America. Mm -hmm. That makes the concept of your show really interesting because it's a forum where you can kind of analyze that almost like, you know, in like a one hour form. I wanted to ask you, why why do you think Japan took to it so well? And, And to this day, I feel like Japanese deathmatch wrestling is like kind of its own thing and it's still incredibly popular there. On the surface, Japan feels like such a polite society. Mm-hmm. Why are, would they gravitate so much towards this style of wrestling? Japan's also like, you know, pop culture that um, manifests there definitely manifests itself in extremes, you know, like mm-hmm. in the stuff. We talked to a lot of fans, like, why do you like this? Because we met, that was the other thing. Like, you go to an American deathmatch, and I think if you look at the fans at the opening of the episode at that Matt Tremont versus uh, Jimmy uh, Lloyd match, yeah. that those fans look completely different than the people we were encountering in Japan at this yeah. death match. You know, like you're seeing businessmen at this Japanese yeah. death match. And, and also like hip, young, sort of hype beast type, uh, you know, very intergender, very like, very diverse gender wise. Like it was very, I don't know, very, totally, it was a study in contrast, the two different audiences. And we asked the Japanese fans, like, why do you like this? And I think the thing that really came across and for from the wrestlers is that we're getting and we're giving the fans a um something powerful something like really you know um a catharsis experience to get them through the next day of work and like they're they're living through us and they're living through our pain and the fans were saying yeah we're living through their pain like this gives us this gives me the strength to go on and do the next day of work watching them give it all in that ring whereas in america what do you think the appeal is i think it's a lot more kind of like uh, you know, car crash culture. And that's, you know, Canada too, you know, mm-hmm. and, and also, you know, I don't know what the appeal is in Germany. I'd love to study in Germany and also Mexico. Cause those, those are two other places where it definitely pops up like Lucha Extrema, you know, as, as illustrated by Violento Jack, like that's a huge, huge sort of not a huge, but it's definitely a, a, a sector within uh, Lucha Libre. But uh, in, in Canada, America, it, it really feels like it's much more kind of like a gawk at look at this, you know, like the, and you even see that in like the stunts that are being performed, well, not the stunts, but uh, the the moves, the the incredible feats that are being performed in the ring. You know, like you, you know, the, you compare the ladder moments in that Freedom Show, where it's a curb stomp off the ladder into a board full of razors, which yes, sounds really extreme, but then you compare that to like you know a side Russian leg sweep through three panes of glass, through another pane of glass, into a barbed wire board on two chairs down below. Like, I, I just think it's a, yeah. it's a study in like what appeals to the two different fan bases. Did you find out if a weapon hurts less, if it's made with love? <laughs> That's, I love that question. <laughs> oh, so, okay. For people who haven't seen it, uh, go watch it right now. By the way, it's available on uh, viceline.com yeah. in the U S yeah, it's right. in the, in the U S we're going to have candidates real soon. Um, yeah, we're going to have candidates. It's it's also in Australia right now. You can watch it all on demand. The whole series cool. is up in Australia right now. So so Damien Abraham is in the living room of June Kasai uh, and, and his wife. Yeah. As his wife is creating. And, and, and like their newborn. Their baby. Their brain. <laughs> How old was the baby? It looked to be like three oh, months. I, I, think it was, I think they had just had it three months ago. Yeah. And he also was covering, and this didn't make it in the episode, and it was an amazing moment, but like once again, time-wise. Uh, he was also coming off that incredible finger injury where he got a piece of glass from a beer bottle in his finger and it caused an infection that re- re- forced oh, him to be hospitalized like three times. There's talk of it amputating his finger at one point. 
And we actually went with him to visit with a doctor and he had never met this doctor before. It was just like the doctor that was in the hospital that was talking to him about the potential of having to operate or what they're going to do next for this infection. And, uh, the doctor turns out was like a fan, you know, oh the doctor, wow, actually, that's amazing. I used to watch him wrestle. And wow. so it was just like, wow, this is amazing. So, kind of so, so Damien's in the living room with, with Junkasai and his family as his wife is helping him create this saw board like a, yeah, board, a styrofoam board full of saws full of saws that her husband is about to fall through and damien asks the question as he's holding this board of saws does it hurt less when you get hurt with a weapon that was made with love <laughs> beautiful only words that you could expect from from a lead singer uh of a, of a punk, punk band. the beautiful. answer even surpassed the question uh it still hurts. <laughs> yeah, it still hurts. <laughs> okay, Junkasai, let's talk about that. How did yeah. you kind of get, get, you know, get him involved in the documentary? I think we just reached out, you know? Like, I think uh, Elena reached out to him, and luckily he was receptive to doing I think we had reached out to Freedoms, and kind of through Freedoms, we were introduced to, you know, we were like, that's why we discussed with Freedoms. We were like, we got to get Jun in there. Because, like, I was watching him in Tournament of Death, the, I forget which, and I wish I could remember which, which Tournament of Death he did, and then there was a video that used to be up on YouTube for a little bit about him backstage having the glass taken out of him afterwards, just shaking all the other wrestlers' hands. And that actually was the thing that inspired me. I'm like, we got to do a documentary about this because this is like, this is just as compelling as what happens in the ring is the mm -hmm. aftermath of all this stuff. And so when we talked, when I, you know, I was talking him up to Jeff and Nathan. So they're like, obviously, we got to try and get him in the documentary. So once we talked to Freedoms, he was on board. And once we, you know, we met with him the first time we went to Japan. And I think he kind of, you know, felt us out and saw what we were about. And then we hit him up again and we're like, we really, we're coming back to Japan because we did, we did it over two shoots, this one. Um, we would love for the opportunity to sort of sit down with you and your family and meet yeah. your new baby and meet your wife. And he was, he was into it. Does, does his mother go to a lot of his matches? I think so. Cause I don't think that would, that actually, I know that wasn't prearranged. His mother and his sister being there. That Maybe was, he told her to be there. That but. was my fucking favorite part of, of this whole thing. Okay, so like you don't see his mother throughout the whole thing. No. The, you, you see his family, but then like we cut to the match itself where the only thing you're seeing is Jude Kasai taking this incredibly crazy bump and you see Damien's reaction. And Damien is like the best person to like have a camera you on. You were the ultimate cutaway guy. <laughs> his, his reactions are amazing. <laughs> and then from the same shot, you see Damien's reaction and you pan over. And to, then the graphic comes up. It's, and it's like this little old Asian lady who like looks like she just stepped out of the grocery store and the key says Jun Kasai's mother and I, I'm thinking if I'm Jun Kasai this is the last person I would ever want to know yeah like would be watching anything like this is the talk about like the worst image that a mother could see of their child but then the mother starts saying don't lose June like the mother's like into the competition run away June like, <laughs> run away. Like, it's amazing it's amazing to me it was incredible like that was I remember getting to the seats that we were going to be sitting in and Jeff saying, that's his mom. <laughs> and I was, Did you know that, that, that you were going to sit next to the mom or was that part of the No, program? no. We just kind of found these seats nearby. Wow. And we were like, that's June's mom. And he's like, that's June's mom. And oh. we're like, oh my. And then God. when you interview them after, it's like, do you wish that he would find something else to do? And the sister is very polite. and he, was like, he's got a lot of fans. Yeah. And then we go to the mother who was like, yes. <laughs> oh, I, and, and how could you not blame her? You know, like, I think that's also when talking to him and it's like would you ever want your daughter to go into joshi and he's they're both no. like no no i thought like th this kind of has been like a pattern in all the episodes of like taking like these people that we're all familiar with 
but really humanizing them in a different light than we're used to with Jun Kasai here. I mean, Mayu Iwatani last week, and you, you look at, like, MVP, like, as much of an open book as he has, like, you get to see, it's, it's just the power of, like, video, of seeing these people go back to these places and seeing them with their families, and you, you get to see them as real people that, you know, the wrestling arena doesn't always provide that light. Absolutely. No, and I, I think that's why we love when wrestling does it. And even back when we're kids and you're watching wrestling and all of a sudden like, oh my gosh, that's his real wife. That's, I can't believe they're on TV. What's going on? What's happening right here? And that's their real kids. Like, not saying I want these kids to be worked in angles, but I just think wrestling is such a unique thing where you can play with reality. You know, like you can make this reality. Like, you know, watching him fall on a bed of yakitori skewers hurts a lot more once you know that he's a, a father to this young baby and he's got this mom that cares about him, you know, like I think that's why MMA and boxing do these documentaries before. Well, you would know better than I, but like, I'm sure that's why they do these documentaries beforehand. So you're like, Oh, I, I identify with this person, you know, instead of trying to give them this, this backstory where we all know it's not real. Like why not lean in a little more to the reality and make that part of the fiction? I think that's also that like with the death match episode in particular, it's, you don't have that. Well, it's interesting that Jun Kasai brings up like this relationship with his father, like, you know, memories of watching wrestling with his father, but who just dismissed this as all fake and not convinced and saying, I was going to wrestle a style that my dad would not be able to uh, look at and dismiss. And that's kind of for many people, like there is no suspension of disbelief necessary. Like they yeah. can see this is this is real glass. These are real weapons that they are you know, at times like destroying each other with, mm -hmm. and you, you don't have that kind of, we, it's not like we have to hook the audience and it's doing it in such a way that can prolong their interest, not desensitize them to it. And it's interesting to see the different reactions of some of the fans just in this, you have some that are coming up at autograph sessions, thanking them for what they're doing. And then you have the one fan who just says, ah, oh, they're professionals. They're not even getting hurt. <laughs> like this wide array of, of takeaways from like this style. It's like, I, I don't know how you walk away with kind of that conclusion that like that they somehow know what they're doing, that this glass is uh, not really cutting them up or anything. Yeah. And the, the, that blood's not real. Like the, those wounds are not actually opening in their people skin. People still really say that at a death match. I don't know. I like, well, that's what I think. Like someone who has well, this one away. fan, yeah. I mean, he yeah. seemed to have a pretty simplistic conclusion to it. And they're, and they are like, they're not getting hurt to the point where they're, you know, having to be hospitalized, but every single person needs some sort of medical attention afterwards like even if it's just checking them over just make sure that none of those are deep enough to need stitches but did you get into any kind of discussions about that like like healthcare? because you kind of you you kind of like danced around it or not not danced around but like it was brought up with with the darby allen yeah. thing in the episode about i yeah. don't want to take an ambulance i i don't i can't afford it and you know, th this episode i think it kind of brings to light like these guys are doing a style that these guys aren't getting rich doing this style either yeah. and what is what is kind of the the after effects of of matches like this we did and we talked about it with a few of the guys but i guess once again it's just because of timing it didn't make it in because there's also like a whole other narrative you mm -hmm. know that's worthy of discussion and i think i think in japan it's very different because um they have national health they care. have a national health care you know and so uh we went with junkasai to get himself checked over and i think with darby allen you saw the american situation played out where he's like no i don't want to get an ambulance you know i, I don't i can't you know, I can't do it. And also, like, once again, just timing and just because of how things were working out. By the time we did Cage of Death, we're very close to the end of the show. And so the narrative was pretty much in place. But uh, Joe Gacy was really injured at that show. 
you know, when he was thrown off the top of that cage to that, to those tables and he like, you know, he, he didn't walk out of that, you wow. know? And it was, Jeez. yeah, it was a very, uh, a very eventful evening. That was also the night that GCW pulled the invasion at CZW, which that's right. Didn't make the show this as is, well. This is September, 2017, uh, December. December. It was freezing, okay. yeah, and uh, and also it was the night that Billy Corgan decided to run a uh, NWA match in the middle of Cage of Death, and it was not well received by the fan base. No, and I don't believe they've been back, have they? No, I don't think they'll ever be back. His reaction backstage would have that would have been a promo that people would have gotten behind. Holy! Uh, how about Danny Havoc and kind of finding him because I, I found him to be really uh, a very engaging guy on this and has not wrestled since this match to the best no. of my knowledge. No, he's he's now working with GCW. He's kind of in a commissioner creative role. Uh, one of the smartest people I've ever met in my entire life. Like I really started thinking about uh, these blueprints were like fascinating. Beautiful, stuff. yeah, beautiful. Nathan, our one of the showrunners, bought a bunch of them and he gave me a couple and I have them and I, I treasure them. You know, they cool. look so beautiful. They're so amazing. Um, That's cool. I really started thinking about geographic privilege, you know, like the idea that being born, you know, in a place like Toronto, that's a major media market. It gave, you know, I, I, I don't know about yourselves, but certainly myself access to working in media in a way that I wouldn't have if I was mm-hmm. born in like the middle of Canada, say, or something, sure. or, or, you know, in, in or another country, another country or different places, you know, like there's definitely like certain advantages, you know, obviously we all know this, but like, yeah. it's amazing looking at Danny Havoc and looking at the sort of geographical privilege that if that guy had been born in LA or New York, or maybe even Chicago or something where access to like major media had been there. I think he would have been, he would have been doing something really unbelievably creative. Not that he's not doing something unbelievably creative right now. I don't want to be dismissive of what he's doing, but I think he would have been hearing about him hmm. otherwise as well in other places because he just, amazing to talk to and just so poetic. And when you talk to him, like just, just amazing how much kind of like artistry he has just in like, just the way he picks his words, you know, like if you just watch him in these moment, in these conversations that he and I have backstage and just like the way he refers to DJ when DJs screwed him out of getting all the glass for the match. Like I just, did DJ replace this guy's storm door? I do not know. I've, I would not want to guess. I think he might be working for GCW though now. So how did so he, I guess GCW's invasion was a success. GCW's invasion was pretty successful. Alex Cologne's there now. A lot of the wrestlers that you saw. How do you like your uh, Tournament of Death documentary, DJ Hyde? Uh, I think DJ really liked it. You know, yeah. I think it did well for DJ. You know, I think a lot of people were interested in the company afterwards. Um, Was he ever thought upon it to be a subject? Because he's someone that I think you could, uh, you, you can probably get quite a lot of people that are going to have differing opinions about oh, this guy. And is yeah. kind of, I mean, he's kind of the, the person uh, behind a lot of like this style now that you associate, at least in that part of the country. I think DJ gets a real hard rap, you know, like I've never worked for him, so I don't know, want to speak for the business, but I think I, I saw how, you know, his living situation that he was living, he's not like a millionaire, you know, it's not like he's, he's rich off this and he gave everyone their first match. Like if you go through it and not just deathmatch people, like every single person's like first match was a CZW show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, which is hardly all death matches too. Hardly that's kind of what matches. like CZW yeah. gets attached to the most. Like that's kind of their most commercial yeah. uh, appeal. But it's, uh, I mean, it's a wide array that you get in CZW. Oh yeah. Best of the best for years was the best of the best wrestling that you'd see each year. Um, but yeah, like we, we definitely, you know, DJ, we did, uh, we talked, we did, sorry. In CZW, DJ, the CZW documentary that we did with Vice, he was definitely the focus of that. So I think Jeff and Nathan really wanted to lean away from that this time. I think our conversations with Danny Havoc and finding out that his last match was coming up and just, you know, the way it all naturally fit together, like the way that you can kind of go from talking about Terry Funk to talking about Onita 
to talking about uh, Matt Tremont, to talking about um, Jimmy Lloyd, to talking about Danny Havoc, to talking about Jun Kasai. Like it really kind of felt mm-hmm. like it was going to flow together in a very natural way. Like everyone knew everyone. Um, Absolutely. Do you feel like by the end of the episode, you felt like, you know, um, it gave a, uh, somebody who might not be a fan of deathmatch wrestling, perhaps a, a bit more of a glimpse as to why people like it. I hope so. Like, I, I don't think if you don't like this style, you're never going to like this style because it is very visceral. I will say, like, you know, I, I, I've i never really been a fan of the style myself, but I saw like uh, at the end of the spring break part one, they there was a match uh, at that, that main event with Jimmy Lloyd. And I forget the name of the the other participant, but like. It was really the first time that I felt like I got into a deathmatch mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and I could start to see the appeal. Yeah, there's something about watching it live that there's a, uh, especially that freedom show that we went to at First Ring, the one that's in like all black in the background. That was, th- there was just such an energy. You know, this glass is flying at you. I'm sitting beside our friend, Chris Charlton. That we, yeah. I can't oh, yeah, yeah. Look at you getting uh, Chris Charlton here on national television. Well, we, we reached out to him very early on. I'm like, this is someone we got to talk to. He's kind of like a, a go-to English speaker expert on Japanese wrestling. And we reached out to him. And for this is the episode that it worked out for him to come to. And it's amazing how much he knows. You know, just sitting oh, yeah. with him before the show, him breaking down the history of Deathmatch in Japan to me. And just like... Wow, you are just a found information and someone that I met because of this show, you know? And then actually a conversation we had, John, on air is what inspired him to write the book. The first, uh, the history of uh, uh, Lion's Pride. When he did Lion's Pride, that was after a conversation that you and I had. I did not know that. He wrote that in the dedication to my book. Wow, look at that. We had a conversation where we're like, you know, someone should write a a history of uh, Japanese pro wrestling. And then we mentioned him (laughs) as a guy to do it. And then... Sure enough, you know, so it's all connected, yeah. much like Deathmatch Wrestling. He was the person to, to write that book. We was, but I think we, we put the bug in his brain. We can own that. Um, before we wrap up, um, you know, now that we've been doing a few of these segments, what, what has been kind of the reception to the series so far? I mean, it's, uh, you know, positive, constructive criticism. What's kind of been the vibe you've got over the first four episodes? Um, it's been really, really positive. You know, like I think people obviously have critiques, you know, like, why don't you feature this person? Why don't you do that? Like, you know, but I think the, the overall vibe has been incredibly positive and I've been very happy that it's been well received by wrestlers. You know, a lot of wrestlers oh, featured cool. have reached out and said, you know, thank you people that I hadn't talked to since we filmed. Um, and yeah, like I think hopefully we did right by the wrestlers and we're doing right by the fans and that seems to be the response so far. So I'm excited for people to see the rest of this stuff. Have a lot of the wrestlers seen their episodes already or, or were they watching for the first time? We tried to, but then just because of the, the break and just because of the situation with our contracts, all of us, the vice, we, we just weren't able to get everyone before we lost, gotcha. um, our, our, our ability to contact people for a while. And so now we're trying to get stuff to them, but yeah, not everyone saw one in advance. There were some people that fell through the cracks at points of not getting screeners. So very excited to get responses from those people. <laughs> so next week you have two episodes. Yes. Out. Yeah. What is next week, actually? Powerful Women of Wrestling, where you go to Bolivia, and then that's followed by the next wave of Mexican luchadors. Yeah, this is an amazing double bill. Um, The the Powerful Women of Wrestling looks at sort of two really separate stories that could have been their own episodes in retrospect, but one of Mia Yim, who's someone who I first actually heard about on MVP's podcast. Like, I knew about her as a wrestler, but first heard her real story and her work with Put a Nail in It and trying to stand up for uh, against, you know, just violence in general, but specifically sort of domestic violence and, and something that she is 
un- sadly and unfortunately very familiar with, but also something that she has fought very much against and, and, you know, fought for her own survival. And it's a story of survival. And I guess that's the real connection between that and Bolivia and meeting all these women, the fighting Cholitas mm-hmm. that have caused yeah, a cultural revolution in Bolivia through their wrestling. And some of the most inspiring stories to come out of pro wrestling that I've ever, ever gotten to heard and some of the most incredible people I've ever gotten to meet in my life. I feel like, you know, whereas like the first uh, four episodes are, are kind of about topics I had heard of or, you know, like knew something about, I think the next two you are going to like be hitting on topics that I had no idea even existed. The idea of, you know, uh, 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 you know, wrestling in Bolivia as sort of like, you know, something women use to combat, I guess, uh, uh, domestic abuse mm-hmm. is incredible. And then in the next wave of Mexican luchadors, the Mexican street wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. That was something that once again, like this whole episode came about because I was a huge fan of Conan and I've always been fascinated by Conan's ability to be this sort of like Machiavellian force within Lucha Libre. Like here's a guy who's Cuban American who goes down to Mexico and becomes what they call him the Mexican Hulk Hogan, you know, like he's, he's a major star in Mexico. And then ever since then, like, Bigger than the Easter Bunny. Bigger than the Easter Bunny in his own words, but he's also just like Ray Mysterio in the episode says it best. He's like, in my household, there's Jesus, there's God, Jesus, and then there's Conan, and that's wow. and that really sums up the way people feel about this guy. And you can see it because he's the guy who believes in these guys when no one else does. And this episode features uh, Ray Mysterio, um, Phoenix, and Penta, and then it also features Archangel Divino and Ultimo Maldito, and it's just kind of like shows this sort of consistent story not maybe so much with ray but definitely with with phoenix and penta and certainly with the two uh brothers how he meets these people in in total poverty and and shepherds them into superstardom and they're just foreverly indebted to him so yeah we hooked up with conan and we're talking to him about potential guests for potential you know subjects for the episode and he's like well have you heard of these kids that wrestle on the streets and that was our first introduction to him and I can't wait for people to see this. This is the best wrestling in the world. And I, I mean that because if these guys screw up, they're out for, for months, you know, and so they never screw up. This is flawless wrestling. So next Wednesday night, 10 p.m., it's Powerful Women of Wrestling immediately followed by the next wave of Mexican luchadors. You can watch it on Viceland. And as always, Damien will be with us uh, for the next three weeks uh, throughout the duration of The Wrestlers. Damien, thank you as always. I know you have to... Uh, uh, where are you right now? You're... Uh, getting to time travel to Europe. <laughs> I'm going, I'm traveling in Europe, probably back here by the time we talk about this. I'm, I'm probably going to be flying back in the air as we're talking. Wow. That's amazing. I, I don't know how you pull it off, uh, but thank you for making time for us little people. No, my gosh. Thank you for making time for me. The post is the most. Not a lie. I heard there. Thank you to Damien Abraham for joining us. And thank you to all of you for joining us today on the cafe hangout. Another packed edition of the Hangout. Two great guests. I had a lot of fun with. As did I. I want to thank everybody in the chat room. I want to thank everybody listening to this uh, Thursday or Friday. Appreciate yes. it. Uh, next week, we're going to make a dedicated portion to, to calls. I feel we were uh, a little bit rushed today, but next week, lots of calls. We'll preview Stomping Grounds. Uh, we'll hear from Damien next week, and whatever else is happening, it feels like a so much happens in a given week. Do you, We do have one phone call if you Let's want to do it. it. Let's do it. You just snuck in there, caller. Who is this, and what do you have to say? This is literally say? last call. Yes, last call. What's up? Hey, what's going on? Oh, my God. Oh, he made it in. <laughs> the most divisive oh, yeah. man 
in the post-wrestling universe. Brandon from New Jersey joins us, the man behind the meanderings. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I didn't know it was that divisive, and I'm kind of scared in August. No, no, no. Don't, don't be scared. Me, me and Way support you. I, 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 I hope so, man. Otherwise, I'll, I'll stop patronizing you guys. No, not at all. We, we enjoy hearing from you, Brandon. <laughs> What's on your I, mind, Brandon? Uh, I'll be I'll be I'll be brief. Um, I, I saw that uh the Vikenia match uh, that you recommended it was right with Laredo awesome. Kid. Yeah. Yes, and I was just curious: Are they going to be at that uh show in August? W- which show in August? The All Out show? That CML that CML show in August in in Toronto. Oh, sorry for the uh, they haven't been announced for any of those shows that are going on in Toronto. So I don't know if they'll. Um, CMLL itself is not doing uh, a show up here though that week. Oh, they're not. I could have sworn they were. Uh, you might be confusing them with OWE. That's what I'm. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, my bad. And uh, one more thing. Um, do you think? Uh, I know Goldberg and, and, and Taker was shit at, at Saudi Arabia. Do you think it, that that uh, Dakota and uh, and uh, which we call match is getting that much more? shit than uh, the same type of shit as Goldberg, how dangerous it was compared to, like, I don't think it was, like, because I thought that was just as dangerous as that Goldberg match. I, I think that Abushi and Naito has gotten quite a bit of criticism to the point that I, I feel that it's it's definitely the dominant discussion point coming out of that match, and I don't, I, I don't see a whole lot of um, praise being heaped upon Naito and Abushi. I think they were both dangerous, and for somewhat different reasons. I mean, one was, uh, you know, both you, you can, you can argue, um, Abushi and Naito, what exactly was intended with the, with the apron suplex. But I, I think it's brought up a larger discussion point about when, when the danger threshold is such that a guy cannot reasonably continue in the case of a Bill Goldberg, like when, when do you call the end to a match? I mean, in Abushi's case, I thought his was way more dangerous, but I mean, he did perform the rest of the match and came out of it amazingly, relatively unscathed outside of the the eye injury that he sustained. But I also don't, that's not a defense of what he did either. I don't think no one's talking about that uh, that other spot. when, when uh, The the eye injury? The With the headbutt? The, the top rope. When he, he landed on his head. On oh, the re, the reverse Rana. Yeah, I mean, I, I think people were still in shock at what they had just seen two minutes before with the apron spot. But yeah, you go right into a reverse Rana off the second turnbuckle. Then you have Naito with the headbutt that ends up swelling his eye. It was a really dangerous match. I mean, there's... And I think that's largely been the reaction I've seen to it. It's like it was too far for most people. Uh, and one more thing, uh, for August, uh, I, uh, the Yankees are playing the Blue Jays, and I got, I got, I, I scored some tickets for that. I can't wait. So that means I'm definitely coming August 11th. I'll see you there, way. Okay, you get, you get, you can't, you can't pick the Blue Jays over us. <laughs> <laughs> that does it for this week's. That was, that was a no comment. <laughs> I, I hope we see Brandon. I want to get a photo with Way and Brandon from New Jersey. Oh well. Um, all right, that's going to wrap up the show. So thank you to everyone uh, for tuning in. Also, uh, today, 10 years since Mitsuharu Masawa passed away at the age of 46, a a really tragic end to his life. And mm-hmm. I mean, it, it kind of does tie into the discussion that we just had uh, regarding, you know, a guy who died in the ring and it was such a huge accumulation of trauma that he took 
to his neck and uh, passing away far too young, but certainly um, it was, you know, a, a, an enormous, enormous cultural figure in Japanese wrestling. So that is going to end the show. Way, thank you as always for hanging out. You're welcome. And that's it. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you.